I think performance in a lot of ways has actually improved. Trapper kind of started coming out and like, hey, calm down now. It's not the end of the world. Yes, you have failed, Chris. Welcome to the Halftime Show, your weekly source for cyber news and info. This is episode number 19. On today's show, Dave, Chris, and Jeff podcast remotely and cover the non-coronavirus news of the week. Check us out online at HashTimeShow.com. And now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Hashtime Show, your source for cybersecurity news and info. I can't even say your weekly source. It's, I've, we've been so infrequent, which is my fault. So, But it's, it's your source for news and info, right, guys? It is a source. A source? <laughs> yes, you have failed, Chris. <laughs> you have failed us. Well, well, for those uh, tuning in, you may Just notice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. For those tuning in, you may have noticed a slight difference here. Uh, we're doing the all remote halftime show uh, this week. And that's part of the delay as well. I'm sure everybody's aware of what's going on. We wanted to address it, obviously, with the, the COVD 19 um, epidemic. We're all working remote. And even the halftime show is on quarantine. The halftime show, even the halftime show is quarantined. So we're all here at our home offices, still going strong. Um, but I'm excited to get back. And so I'm excited we have this format now. So coronavirus or not, we're going to still podcast, guys. And I'm, I'm committed, loyal fans, every single so often, more often, we're going to do the, the halftime show. All right. We're on episode 19 today, guys. And what I wanted to kick it off with is a segment you guys know and love called Getting to Know You. And I wanted to ask you guys, Jeff, I'm going to start with you. What's, sure. it, what's it been like for you going to 100% remote work? Uh, you know, I've done 100% remote jobs before, so it's not a huge deal for me. I'd say, you know, kind of combination of being 100% remote and, and the quarantine, though, you get a little stir crazy here and there. So you find uh, find ways around that. You know, obviously, everybody is uh, doing, you know, WebEx, Zoom, Teams meetings and, you know, seeing each other's faces. So that definitely helps. But, um, you know, I think it's it, the hardest challenge for me is, you know, managing 60 people via, uh, you know, a Zoom meeting. Yeah, I can't imagine how you're doing that because I'm having a hard enough time just managing a handful. I, I This is the first time I would say I wish I could go to the office. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you and me both have done, I mean, I worked remote for 10 plus years before this. So it's not... Like I'm already equipped for this. It's it's I think it's a bigger hit for certain people. Like we know, like uh, DJ who's been on the podcast before. I I roasted them this morning because we were on a call and and uh, Kurt asked me, "Hey, are you in the office like DJ?" I go, "No, DJ is says that he's like Will Smith from I Am Legend, you know, in the city by himself. <laughs> but really, he's more like Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. So he can't work from his apartment because it looks like a murderer's bachelor pad. So he has to go into the office." <laughs> So we probably, sh- I, I probably shouldn't roast anybody, but we have a couple of analysts who refuse to work from home and go to the office as well. So, you know, teach his own. Each their own, right? Yeah, I, re- I respect it. All right. Appreciate that answer, Jeff. Dave, what about you? What's it like going 100% remote for you? Yeah, so this is the first time I've ever been 100% remote. Um, I, I'm mainly one that wants to go into the office and, and see people's faces and, and interact face-to-face. But uh, yeah, it's been a challenge, I would say, 
trying to acclimate to that. Um, I will say it's been very popular um, for a lot of the analysts. Um, I think performance in a lot of ways has actually improved because there's fewer distractions. People can just sit and focus and, um, you know, the interaction that we did have picked up again on teams, uh, even though it wasn't face to face. So we just kind of transitioned pretty normally. And uh, overall, I mean, operationally, I'd like to say things have gone off uh, without a hitch. I, there's not been any interruptions, no, um, n- nothing has, has gone wrong. Uh, so has it been a pleasant surprise? Uh, just kind of taking it day by day, trying to keep the train on the rails, so to speak. Yeah, I, w- I would say I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have enough paranoid people on my staff that uh, we sort of jumped the gun on this whole virus thing and did plenty of DR tests and surprise tests ahead of time. And we actually kind of started going full remote probably about two weeks before everybody did so uh, I'll, I'll out myself as one of those paranoid people <laughs> I, that was me <laughs> so, so dave and i went to the uh techno Cybersecurity conference um as I some remember that. Know, and uh it was supposed to be a 1500 person conference and people were already starting to go work remote at our office before that but right when we got there we realized this was a bad idea because out of the 1500 that were supposed to be there, I'm not even joking. There was maybe a hundred, 150 people there. Um, it, it was a bit eerie. You know, we had a good session. A lot of people came to our session, but it was, it was definitely weird. And we, we almost felt like we shouldn't have been there. We left at just the right time, though, because as soon as we got out of there, the next three or four days, they started announcing a bunch of new cases in, in San Diego. So, you know, that's been a few weeks. Uh, n- neither of us are sick, uh, thankfully. So I think, you know, we either got lucky or, or left at just the right time. I feel paranoid anytime I cough for allergies that people are <laughs> losing on me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's <clears throat> funny. I, there was like at RSA conference, too. You guys went there. There's people that came out of that conference that got diagnosed, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Luckily, we were already paranoid there and <laughs> didn't touch things and, you know, hand sanitized to death. And um, luckily, you know, there is some people in our direct industry that were uh, diagnosed right out of there. And luckily, they're, uh, I, I mean, it's in the nicest way possible. Luckily, they're not partners of ours and we didn't talk or touch them. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's definitely a scary thing to, to say the least. It is. I mean, it's, it's, we kind of need humor sometimes to laugh at some of the tough things in life. Cause it is serious. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I am guilty of not taking it seriously. And then, and then the prepper in me, cause my dad, my dad gave me a couple of values, like being a gun nut prepper kind of started coming out and like, Hey, calm down now. It's not the end of the world, but it's something to take seriously. And I appreciate you guys as much as you know me, I'm trying to Jimmy the heart hype up everything. I appreciate you guys being conservative and keep me in, in control. Otherwise, you know, it would be a security risk. I'd be a security risk if not. <laughs> yeah, for so sure. I guess for me, I just, just real quick, I've already kind of given my piece on working remote. I did it for a long time. Well, the cool thing is I can do the halftime show with my pants off. Although I'm wearing pants right now, just FYI, but I could, <laughs> you can. Thanks work. for that insight. It's always great to know. I am wearing my halftime polo, but yeah, you, uh, the, the not getting ready, uh, you know, I got long hair and you know, I got I'm turning into Grizzly Adams here. The not getting ready. It, I got my golf polo on. I'd rather be golfing. I shaved for this. I, I've I, shaved in, I in two weeks. Well, I appreciate that. I probably, should. <laughs> um, but I, I, I appreciate the only thing that going to office that I just the whole, you know, get ready for work thing. I, I know I sound like a lazy person right now, but that's been a benefit, but yeah, definitely some challenges that I didn't think I would have, um, around working with my team and, you know, um, it's yeah. it'll take some adjusting, setting some boundaries and more expectations is, is a really critical 
for remote work and managing people is understanding that knowing that knowing that they know what they're responsible for, that it's still you got to be working these times and it's not, not, not a vacation. It's not time to run errands and everything else. And I found it to be, found it to be an interesting change. I, th- I think it's a lot easier from someone who manages the stock because they're usually shift based. So they already kind of understand when that time rolls around and they're on. So I've not had really any problems with that. They've all been great. Uh, if anything, I think there is a need for a few more breaks than what's being taken because I just see people online constantly always talking about doing analyst stuff. I'm like, you guys ever stepping away from this you, ever? I'd say you actually t- intend to work harder because yeah, you, you may take little breaks here and there more frequent, but you're, you end up spending, you're like, man, I just realized I've been sitting at my computer for 10 hours today, 12 hours. Yeah. You know, it's just, you gotta, you gotta find ways to connect and cut it off because you know, you won't, but you know, I, I, I always joke, I think, thankfully, we've got a pretty, pretty solid team of people. Um, but uh, at a previous organization that uh, um, didn't allow work from home, and then they kind of shifted gears and changed it to allow work from home. Um, they had this, we had this one guy we couldn't get a hold of in the event of an emergency. And uh, about four hours later, finally got a hold of him and found out he was on his roof the whole time. Well, Work from home does not mean to work on your roof. Is it a roof and side hustle? Roof and side hustle? Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as long as people are aware of what the expectations are and how to go about doing doing work from home, I think it can be pretty successful. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate that, guys. Obviously, we've everything's gone off at a hitch so far. So, and hopefully this, you know, hopefully we get to a point where we go back to work at some point. It'll be interesting to see how things change in the whole country. Now that we're seeing that we can we can work remote more, I'm interested to see what happens with business. It's going to look like Area 51 with everyone hazmat suits on. Yeah, right. I watched that movie, The Outbreak, on Netflix, like right when this started, and I was like, first of all, I miss '90s movies where like there's crazy helicopter chase scenes that are totally unbelievable. I mean, Dave, you're in the military. Have you seen that movie, Outbreak? Yeah, I saw it even before I joined the military, but yeah, I have seen it. I, I like Contagion. That was a good movie. A good one too where Cuba steals the helicopter and like the, they just keep getting away. Isn't, isn't that fake? Is that seems so fake to me? I mean, not, not everyone can just step into a helicopter and fly one. So that's <laughs> might be a bit of Hollywood there. <laughs> Unless you're Will yeah. Smith from Independence Day. who just, he's a fighter pilot, but does know how to fly a helicopter. He just randomly steals I, I've one. Flown, I've flown plenty in video games. So I think I'm good. Yeah. yeah. Will Smith can go. fly an alien craft too in that movie. Don't forget. Right. He can fly uh, anything. That's true. It's reversed and he flips the post it note over. Yeah, now it all makes sense. That's, That's such it. a Mike, Michael Bay move, like something so simple. That's <laughs> yeah. hilarious. All right. <laughs> all right, so let's move on, guys. Let's jump into segment two. We're going to cover the news this week, and I'm sure you guys are inundated with coronavirus news. So we're going to do no coronavirus news. We're going to give you guys something, a fresh take on security and cyber and talk about some of the big things that have happened this week. And uh, guys, I, pre- I prepared three. We got 30 minutes. Let's go through what we can. If you guys have any other ones that you want to press through, let me know. Um, I wanted to kick this off with a vulnerability in the Tesla Model 3 um, that allowed a basically almost like a phishing uh, type scheme where the user would go to a, a special web page, I guess, from the Tesla interface. And it would, it would allow the attacker to um, take over the basically the whole model three because it's all a big computer. Right. And then, you, you know, it's a, like a, a denial of service attack on a Tesla model three. And so I thought it was kind of fascinating. I mean, there's been some talk in, uh, in the past of governments taking over um, cars and crashing them and so on and so forth. And this is sort of like 
out of a futuristic movie. Did you guys have a chance to look at this article? Yeah, I did. It's a pretty interesting exploit. Um, and in, in that he basically used the web to compromise the, the car. But uh, just to be clear, like you couldn't uh, take over the driving aspect of this. You could still drive the car. It just affected certain systems like the blinkers and air conditioning and uh, you know, a few other things, but you could still drive just it. Minor so, stuff. Just minor stuff. Well, yeah, but I mean, things that wouldn't <laughs> compromise safety necessarily, unless you're in Arizona and someone turns off your AC, but yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's a, a pretty, I would say prescient thing to be hacking cars in 2020. It's, it's the future. It's what we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's going to be interesting, right? Like the, if they can hack the driving at some point or, you know, the even scarier thing would be like, uh, these self-driving semi-trucks, right? Be yeah. Like, a that comes like a terrorist item then or something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm my Michael Bay mind run wild now. We just talked, you know, about it, it, it makes me think of, it's almost similar to what we look at in the corporate world, right. Of acceptable use and things. And, you know, do you really need to browse the web in your Tesla? Probably not. So you should probably just not open the web browser. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, don't they have locks for that? Uh, I've never been in a Tesla before. Don't they have locks for that where you can't browse while the vehicle's in drive kind of thing? Probably. I, I think there's uh, some kind of limiting as to like what you can watch. I don't think you can watch video or open Netflix or things like that when you're when the car's in motion. But wow, I I don't know. Maybe maybe when it goes in autopilot, you can. I I don't. I personally don't have a Tesla, um, but you know, it's I, I could see the potential. We could test it. We should have just invited Elon Musk on this podcast. He could have answered all his questions for us. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Elon. All right. So, I was going to say, I think it is interesting. It's basically a denial of service. So he didn't really like remotely access anything or take it over. It was just that it, it crashed the services. So yeah. Uh, oh, I just looked at exploit article. There's actually a CVE do- uh, dedicated to it as well. Interesting. So this is yeah. a major documented issue. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. I, I, I'd like to know, and not to keep coming back to this, but I'd be interested to know, uh, like, what's the first documented car-related CVE? Because this is the first one I've seen personally. There's probably some other ones, but uh, I, I know there's some back in the day, like the guys who hacked the jeeps while yeah. driving, mm-hmm. or uh, there was a couple other ones that Silence had found and things. So, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Okay, moving on to the next one. Uh, this is a, a common theme we've talked about before around child privacy and some of the ad scams, but it kind of hit uh, all those fronts at once in one news article this week. I'm going to go ahead and read the headline here. Dozens of Android apps for kids on Google Play Store caught in an ad fraud. And so this is 50 Android apps that were mostly designed for kids that racked up almost a million downloads and they're using a new trick to secretly click on ads without the knowledge of the smartphone users. My yeah. question when I saw this, and I'll pose it to you guys, maybe you don't know, is isn't there, there's like a, Google AdSense does a click fraud. So if they see something that that's, looks malicious, they don't pay the advertiser out or the publisher out on that, you know, the app, the app publisher. So wouldn't this get picked up in, in one of the advertising networks, um, algorithms or like i don't know why i don't Maybe know why this play depends on how often they're clicking in it and how quickly and some of those kind of things but there's plenty of testing frameworks out there and things that you can use to make mouse movements and clicks for you so they can they can easily generate that you know i think the the biggest point of this whole article is 
you know, in these times where everybody's working from home, a lot of kids don't have remote learning. Um, You know, I could tell you from uh, my kid's school district, there is not remote learning. They're now launching a couple things on there, but it's more like busy work. They said it doesn't count towards grades. It doesn't help them graduate, any of that kind of stuff. So it's really just optional stuff that the kids could do. Um, So while your kids are bored, what are they going to do? Download apps and look for things to do, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you have, so you have your daughter's in high school, right, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a nine-year-old, so it's easy. You no, know, he's in fourth grade. It's like, you know, what do you, what do you miss? You know, you're not missing like the, you're not missing a major college credit course or something that's going to set you up. It's not yeah. as big a deal, but if you're a senior in high school right now, I wonder how this is impacting them as they close the school year down. Uh, you know, I, my hopes is it's just, you move on, you pass go, you collect $200. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how different states handle that because, you know, my daughter's not old enough to be in school yet, but um, they're talking about closing school through the end of the year. So what does that even look like? Is it just the lost grade and everyone skips it and, and moves on or, or what? You know, for the younger grades, you know, I, I have a kid in elementary school as well. I think for, for the younger grades, that's the only option I can see because or, you know, this typically happens. I used to live in an area that would get blizzards and stuff like that. And so in the snow areas, right, if you have a snow day, what do they do? They tack down on the year. So I can potentially see them saying, hey, this is summer break. Your kid's going to school in the summer, which in Arizona, that would be a painful thing considering it's, you know, 120 degrees, 130 degrees. Yeah. So but I could potentially see them doing that for the elementary younger grades. My kid shifted to my high schooler shifted to online, so she she actually has full online high school, but the younger one doesn't have anything. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's also interesting. Back to your point about hey, I miss maybe going into the office. I noticed with my nine year old, you know, whenever he come home from school and school was going on, you know, all he wanted to do is run and go scoot or or play video games or you know whatever, watch videos on his phone. Now that he has 100% access to that and only just a little bit of like, they do like an hour a day remote. It's funny. I set up Zoom for my kid yesterday. I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> um, so they do, they are doing the remote. Uh, but um, he, I was like, I'm bored. And I'm like, Dude, you got a skateboard, you got a scooter, you got an Xbox, Switch, you got everything. You got a PC, you got a new gaming PC, you got everything. And he's like, yeah, I want to, I'm bored. And then I see him get on this one hour Zoom call with his classmates and his teacher and he's like having fun again. So it's kind of fascinating how it's, how it's going to impact the socialization. Of I, got, I got to tell you, my, my kid's the exact opposite. He basically, all of his friends are on Fortnite. They sit there all day. If I let him, he would play eight hours of Fortnite a day. So I've actually implemented, you know, and I've seen mixed feelings from friends and family that, you know, hey, my home, my home is not a school. I'm, it's a safe place. I'm not forcing them to. I've got my kid doing eight hours a day of schoolwork. So, you know, I've kind of done a little bit of the other. I make him... You know, he's got 30 minutes of reading, 30 minutes of math and 30 minutes of writing that he has to do every day. Um, and then he's picked up a couple things on his own. Like they were just starting to learn recorder, which I tell you, I do not like when he's practicing that. I got one. I'll break it here. I got a yacht. <laughs> but, you know, he'll practice that himself for a half hour, you know, so he's at least doing some things that uh, keep him interested and intrigued outside that. But my, my kid would play video games 12 hours a day if I let him. But the real question is, is he participating in click fraud? Yeah, that's yeah. That's a good question. Maybe. <laughs> I, I'm unaware at this point. I'll have to check his YouTube channel. We went so far off of the topic, it was kind of ridiculous. So um, we're going to talk about coronavirus news, and then we turned a non-coronavirus news article into coronavirus <laughs> news. Not intentional by any. I know, I know. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so they have a list of these malicious apps. It's, I, I don't recognize any of these. It looks like, was this, a, this looks like it was a different country mainly. Um, che- this is a checkpoint. They, they found this out uh, and it's called Techia. But I mean, obviously the, the topic of this, I mean, the takeaway in my eyes is, just so everyone knows who's looking at the video, I'm looking up because I got a TV screen up there with my <laughs> notes. I keep looking up. Um, the, uh, You're looking to the cloud. Looking up, trying to think. Uh, you're you're the, just connecting to the cloud. <laughs> I'm, I'm beaming like giant demonic. I'm beaming my brain into the cloud. Exactly. Um, I guess the point of this is, hey man, data privacy. You you can't rely upon tech giants and ad networks to protect your children. You gotta you gotta watch it. And it goes back to our corporate pitch. User education is key, right? You gotta keep your kids yep. educated. I think I think I'm I'm sounding like Jeff Marshall right now, but I've had enough talks with you. I'm, I'm picking up some of your hey, good habits. Opportune times leads to, you know, I mean, I know you guys have been fo- posting some of the phishing schemes that we've found. It, opportune times cause for, you know, people to try to capitalize on that. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on. Headline number three. This one caught my eye. We've talked about this in the past as well. I want to bring up some old themes, but in a new fashion from our past shows. Um, this is a Cincinnati firm facing a $5 million data breach lawsuit. And I wanted to read this quote because it's, uh, it's pretty telling. Computer systems at Total Quality Logistics, TQL, were compromised in a cyber attack that took place on February 23rd. Customer and carrier information was exposed after threat actors breached the company's online web portal. Now TQL is being sued by an unnamed trucking company. A complaint filed alleges that TQL failed to implement and maintain responsible security measures over personally identifiable information. So these guys are getting whacked for five million, whether or not they'll settle for that or not, it's up, up yeah. to find out. But that's pretty, pretty big for a company I've never even heard of to get find five million for a data breach, right? Or am I am I just out of the news? You know, I think it's it's kind of interesting. So at one of the best talks that I w- listened to at um, at Techno Security Conference was a uh, talk by a, a legal firm that's in uh, Southern California that handles a lot of big data breaches. And it depends on the state they're in, the state's laws. You know, I mean, if you're in California and you got CCPA, there's, there's a lot of people who are taking advantage of trying to sue for that. Now, just because they have CCPA or GDPR or some compliance that they're tied to, whether it be, you know, statewide or not, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win that lawsuit. It, there's, you know, there's a lot that goes into these these breach investigations to find out if they're doing their due care and you know doing the things that they're supposed to do or not. And you know, you'll have to we'll have to see how this plays out. Um, but you know, if if they're justified in it, they'll end up eleven up winning. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you see California take some of these actions, and I wonder if that kind of emboldens firms who are, are victims of, of breaches or individuals who are, are victims of breaches, uh, even if they don't live in California or exist in California, to then take those actions and say, well, this has precedent in California and, and maybe kind of force the situation and force their state to, to reconcile these issues. Because, yeah, I mean, it's something like that is totally within a victim's rights within California to go after a company that, uh, you know, didn't do their due diligence. Yeah, they're actually seeking to make this a class action lawsuit. And this company has 57 sales offices and a network of 85,000 carriers. So pretty pretty large. I mean, it could obviously spiral out and be more. I think this, you know, obviously I'm in sales and marketing. So I start thinking 
that way when I look at these kind of articles and I'm, I'm like, one of the toughest things to look at is ROI on IT spend, right? Not just for cybersecurity, not, not, a, not a plug against we do, but when you look at investing in IT and the tools, investing in staff, it's hard to get ROI on that. If you have a salesperson, the ROI is what they sell, right? But when you have IT, sometimes it's looked at as a sunk cost. A lot yeah, of looking at an organization, it's either a, a you know a, a sunk cost, a chargeback model. There's a lot of different ways they do it, but either way, IT costs companies a lot of money. So, right. you know, every every organization I've ever been in has had to fight for IT spend, had to fight separately for security spend. You know, Gartner had some crazy numbers out there before. You know, and I've seen both extremes, but you know, I mean the number at least as of a couple of years ago was two and a half percent of your IT budget should be security. Right. Well, the more and more you look at that, it's like, where, where is, where is the right thing? And, and, you know, there's a lot of, as we've talked about before, there's a lot of tool purchasers. There's a lot of people who handle just from a risk perspective and it's finding that balance and figuring out how do I, how do I meet all those requirements and do enough due care to prevent myself from getting a lawsuit? Yeah, I mean, that's where I think that this is interesting from a ROI standpoint is that you can start to build a more of a real options financial approach, but you would build a a forecastable risk of lawsuit and then you could bake that into ROI on investing in cybersecurity. And it's it's interesting. Obviously, for us, this is very big part of what we look at when we, we create value talking to our customers. But I just think in general, organizations, this is another example, like there was an Equifax that you're going to get whacked if you let your stuff get, get breached and it impacts customer data. You know, even, even from a staffing perspective, you know, I'll, I'll give you two examples. We have two law firms, fairly similar in size. One has, you know, a handful of security guys, like two, three. The other one has literally like seven, eight, nine security guys. They're the same size company um, handling a little bit different types of lawsuits, but still they're about the similar size and it's, completely different of what they actually have from a budgetary and spend perspective. So it differs per organization, the differs based on what you're protecting and what your board and your company wants to invest in. So, you know, it's, it's a challenge just like any organization with a regular IT spend. Yeah. It's interesting. It's that the couple of quotes in this article were like, uh, TQL wasn't taking this seriously. They weren't investing in IT systems. The, 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 Staff wasn't adequately trained. Um, you know, they're saying if this would have happened, it would never would have occurred. Now we all know that it's 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 not about stopping; it's about detecting, right? In a lot of cases, that's going to happen, but it's how what's your dwell time, right? Reducing dwell time. But uh, and, and, and a little bit more, we've talked about this quite a bit. We just did a, sale, a training with our sales staff to try to educate them even further. And you know, part of it is not just the dwell time and what you do, but handling it the right way. How, did right. you? did you do the right things in handling it? Did you do the right things in notifying the, the appropriate parties um, and then to resolve the issue in the end? So I think there's a lot more that goes into a, a breach than people realize. I, I think it's also really interesting because the companies suing TQL, they're making those allegations, but the validity of those allegations are going to come out in terms of the discovery process, you know, as, as part of the trial. So, not only is it a black mark against your, um, you know, your brand to be sued in that manner, but also as part of that discovery process, all those internal internal emails, all of that internal documentation is going to have to come out. It's it's part of uh, everybody's due diligence. So, um, 
that would almost be as bad as being breached, I think, for some organizations, because you may uncover that the situation is actually worse than than what they thought. So, yeah, I mean, if, you know, if you look at breaches as an overall whole, you know, we handle a lot of different scenarios. And I'll tell you, we've we've taken on a new customer who came to us and they're a large enterprise company and they had no real security. They had no they had old outdated endpoints. They had no monitoring. They had none, none of these things. And then you've had large organizations who have every tool you can think of. Right. They have monitoring in place. And yet they both were breached in similar ways. So there's no silver bullet. It's can you, can you find a partner like us? Can you come up with the right processes? And can you proactively and effectively after the fact handle the breach and handle the situation and, and know what to do and have you practiced it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny. You mentioned, you know, how do you handle the breach? That's what brings us, I think this will be our last segment of the week because we're getting short on time here, but um, you know, a topic we've had in the past or a segment rather breach of the week. Although, as I've said it before, our breach of the week, uh, university of Utah health disclosing a data breach. And I like to highlight instead of just, taking a crap on people that get breached, highlight companies that handle it the right way. And they came out pretty soon after they found out and, and disclosed it and, and took mediation steps. And so I wanted to say kudos. I mean, obviously getting breached is never good, but kudos to University of Utah Health for their, their practice and disclosing quickly and taking steps to fix the issue. Yeah, we've yeah. talked about this on the podcast before too, right? Bodybuilding.com, yep. North Hydro. There, there is a right way to handle these things. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, basically to your point, I think in terms of like the brand salvaging after a breach, you will always come out on top if you favor disclosure and, and transparency when it comes to a breach. Like um, I, I urge anyone who's like in a leadership IT position uh, to, to go read about the Norse Hydro breach and how they handled that and how proactive they were. And, and basically just getting the information out saying exactly what happened. Here's it out. Well, almost exactly what happened. Obviously, there's some things they didn't want to disclose for, uh, you know, internal security reasons. Um, but yeah, there's a right way and a wrong way, and usually the right way involves being super transparent and and disclosing as much as you can. Yep, absolutely. Well, guys, I wanted to thank you. Let's let's wrap with that for this week. Um, shorter podcast, but I'm excited. Thank you for welcoming me, welcoming me and the world into your homes for the podcast today, guys. <laughs> I appreciate You're welcome. it. And uh, we will, uh, we'll continue this hopefully next week or the week after we'll get the podcast, the hashtime show restarted, even though we're remote, we're going to, we're going to continue on providing news education out there. So thanks guys. And we'll yeah. catch you next week. Cool. Thanks. thanks. Pretty large. Thank you for listening to the hashtime show. Check us out online at hashtimeshow.com. Well, the cool thing is I can do the hashtime show with my pants off, although I am wearing pants right now. And Even the hashtime show is on quarantine. <laughs>